And we are back. Thank you for joining us for another edition of the Daily Dots. <clears throat> Got some, uh, well, we didn't have any big data today. Did we, Chase? So we had Challenger job cuts, um, better than expected. We had um, S&P services, PMI, better than expected. We had jobless claims, better than expected. Um, and then yesterday, one thing we didn't talk about was auto sales, better than expected. What, what were what what were the read on all four of those? How what, how much better are we talking? Um, a lot for auto sales, a lot for jobless claims. Oh, and yeah, we, we also had ADP jobs, better than expected. What were jobless claims at? Oh, like barely over two hundred k. Like closer to all time lows than than you know anything that would signal any problems in in the labor market. Well, so we got we're getting the Q1 that we Q1 thought. data bounce yep. that we thought we'd see from mm-hmm. from you know the increasing thing is um you know like you and I were talking about and and I don't want to I'm not this is probably a much bigger discussion than to have on the dots but no just when you when you when you start watching the way that this economy is responding and the way it moves um, I'm starting to think that there is an increasing possibility that you don't have a technical recession this year. And, and the reason I'm thinking it's an increasing possibility, I, I still don't think that that's the likeliest outcome just because I, I think that you'd have to be an idiot looking at history, looking at the data that we're looking at, not to think when, when people are sitting there going recession is a, a minute chance now, what those people are idiots. You, 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 you to, to believe that recession is not a, a probability at some time over the next 12 to 14 months is literally to throw out every bit of historic data. Having said that, there's never, I don't think there's ever been a time where we've run deficits as high in peacetime, you know, outside of recession yeah. or outside of war. Okay. And that spending ain't going down. It's an orgy of spending. I mean, you're at 34. Where we, the pace you're adding debt now is just breath. And, and most of it's structural, baked in stuff. It's not yeah. even. No, it, it, it's just, but it's just breathtaking. The, the, the way and people are focused on how big the number is, it's already up to 34 trillion. The, yeah, the, the, last, the last trillion went real quick. Yeah, it went real quick. So yeah. when you've got a government spending like that, I don't know. Now, here's the problem. Yeah, I was having a talk with a uh, client today. I don't know that there is a worse environment for the average consumer than, I mean, look, a horrible depression or something like that obviously is the worst case scenario. But but I think that we need to start entertaining the other threat, which is you, you don't go into a technical recession. And, you know, the Fed sitting there targeting, you know, they're targeting two to 3% inflation. If you just resume inflating at that level from here, you're just going to keep consumers in a in a house of pain, and it won't even matter if you lower rates. I mean, you'd have to you'd have to be looking at wage gains that were going up eight ten percent multiple years in a row, you know, to alleviate that pressure. You know, they, meaning it you don't need to slow down inflation. You need prices to come down, uh, or that, or the productivity boom that you were talking about, and and all yeah. of a sudden wages go nuts. But car sale, how much bigger when we're saying? Car sales beat by a lot. What are, are we talking about? Reversal of trend? Are we watching the the so, reversal of so, trend on these metrics? So a lot of people think it was just like a really good end of year thing that won't won't continue. And now, obviously, we have rates going back up because oh, we're the, getting hot. Oh, the so tax. it probably won't. But the t- and there's that tax law that expired at the end of this year. 
Yeah, so bet a bunch of people yeah. jam the EVs that we're going to lose the tax loop. Well, and there was that part of the Trump tax cuts that allowed you to write off a vehicle in an aggressive way. And I think that this year was the oh, last year you could do that. it. I, I, could, I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure that this was the last year you could do it. Because doesn't don't his, Well, I should have done it. Yeah, don't, don't his Trump tax cuts expire next year, at the end of the, next year? So they're... I think a good bit of them do. They were like scattered throughout yeah. a, a few years, but yeah. So, so that could have been good. The PMI, PMI is bouncing or or better than expected. That that was, I mean, that, so it's S and P. So I don't, I don't, if I'm honest, I don't pay attention to it. Well, yeah, tomorrow, that's so, a lot of noise. Tomorrow yeah. we get the ISM services PMI, uh, which I'll pay more attention to, and I, but I fully expect it to be strong. Like I expect essentially all data to be strong f- for the next few months. Now, just because of the loosening now. Yeah, exactly. Equities going back up, down, and, and rates going back up, dollar going back up. It it will do the opposite. It will, will be right back to financial conditions getting tight, and then that will do the opposite, where it will slow data down. But that's probably like a second, third quarter story. You know, the other things, fat. You and I were talking about this earlier, and I'm I'm going to bring it up just because you've swung a little bit more to my thinking. Hundred uh, <laughs> percent. A lot the, more, I would say. The market is becoming the economy. It, it really is. I. I feel dumb for having, having and, that, and, hey, and look, back on that for a while. And that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. No, it's not. It's, it's like, not a healthy thing. It's it, not a good it's thing. Not. It's a scary thing. It is because, I mean, the ultimate the ultimate source of financial stability risk isn't doing that. Because it's, it's one thing to have, you know, uh, you know, an overly priced asset market get hit and, and push you into a recession. Like, that's not fun and that we've had that happen a couple of times. Um, but if you tie the economies like just inextricably to asset prices and then something, you know, exogenous bad, like really bad happens to those asset prices, it's like a one-legged like, stool, the financial stability risk is just massive. Yeah. Now you're talking not just like, Oh crap, a recession. You're, that's when you're talking like lost decade and, and, you know, 15% unemployment kind of problems. Yeah. Well, I mean, just think about it. We, we, think about, and I'm telling you, you would see it. If you had a 30% pullback in the S&P, okay, you'd still be trading around 20 times earnings. That ain't a cheap market, right? It's just not. Now, but if you had a 30% hit to the S&P, I guarantee you consumer spending in this environment with rates yeah. anywhere close to where they're at, consumer spending is going to plummet. It absolutely would. All right. It's plummet. just how it works. And you can you can go back and look at the data. It's pretty clear, and it's about a two-month lag to financial conditions to, to the macro data. Yep. Yep. So and and here's the here's the and, and it ties and it ties right back into tax receipts. So it's very like uh it, it, it's its own, you know, feedback loop. Yeah, yeah. And and here's the other thing. The longer this goes, I think the tighter that correlation goes, right? The higher yeah. household wealth goes, the tighter that correlation goes. I, yep, hundred percent. And and now that we have created, you know, this retirement industrial complex where the market is not there to efficiently allocate capital, but it is there to um, make people rich in retirement, and you know, that's become a political utility as much as anything. Um, it. It's like a, that that DC to New York City corridor between finance and government, and it's just it's becoming it, it's really it is definitely becoming dangerous, especially whenever you and we've talked about this a million times, but whenever you factor in the the passive angle, uh, it's just the whole thing's dangerous. There's just no no two ways about it. 
Yeah, no, I mean, hey, look, and as long as it lasts, as long as that feedback loop lasts and, and you're long and you're winning off it, it's great. How long yeah. can it last? If you're a baby boomer, it's, it's wonderful. For now, for now. Um, the flip side, though, is that, I yeah, it just gets you, it, it just, it, it, I, you know, you don't ever want to say this. And obviously, as a risk manager, it doesn't even matter if you say something like this because we're always going to be looking out at the other side of it. But, I, we've been 15 years without a recession. And and then you look at the what, what you're up against right now. The fact that we're even questioning whether a recession is happening makes me laugh every once in a while because I'm just sitting there going, if you, if a recession doesn't happen, that's not a good sign. It's it's not a good sign. Well, it, to me though, like – And the reason why I say that is because then you have to ask the next question. Okay, why didn't a recession happen? And the only reason it didn't happen is because you are spending insane amounts of money at the federal level. Yeah, pro fiscal, which we've had really since 2016. I mean, and here you are, and they continue doing it, and you're doing it with the market creeping ever closer to 30 times earnings. You're, you're doing it with the market with housing prices at record in affordability. You look at them and go, guys, are you noticing something? Right. Like the pushing is the problem, right? Like the, the, the problem we're up against is because of two, right? It's it, And you're sitting there going, I, I mean, it just feels very close. Like we're into that. We, we're very close to being like, I don't want to say permanently, but really wedged tight into that corner of the Fed having to go, hey guys, what do you want? Do you want three and a half percent inflation or higher? Or is it time to deal with the recession? Right. I just, I don't think you can get both. I don't think you, I think you got to pick one or the other at this point. Yeah. You, you can get both near term, but definitely not medium term. No. Yeah. I I just, I mean, it's. And, and, it's, and if, you know, they've been able to reach into the bag of tricks and sell a bunch of bills instead of, you know, long-term paper, stuff like that. Like there, there's a lot you can do for a while, but eventually those tricks run out and, and that's when that decision has to get made. Um, well, what I was going to say though, to me, the one thing that, that makes the longer it takes to go into a recession, the more likely you get one and then it's, you know, uh, impactful, let's say, because every day that the Fed can't actually cut rates because the economy stays strong is a day that more people have to refi into, you know, rates significantly higher than where they left. Um, like I, I, I think it was like a, you know, a, an attack surface that yeah. the attack surface for the economy just gets a little bigger every day. Cause you know, in, in the last year and a half, the fed was raising rates, but the, the economy was like a stealth bomber. It's like they're, you're shooting missiles at a stealth bomber. Like you can't even see it. Yeah. It's so small. The radar cross section was so small, but now all of a sudden that thing's getting bigger and bigger. So those, those rate hike missiles actually start connecting. Yeah. Well, I don't think we're going to see any more of those rate hike missiles fired. Anymore. No, I just mean what we've accumulated to date. The- I, I, I just, I, it go, it takes me back to where I just, I don't understand what those guys are thinking. I don't understand the, what they're yeah. saying. Like it just what- pumping liquidity was in 2023 was just asinine considering the goals. Yeah. I'll never get it. I, I will never understand it. I, I just, I don't, I, I honestly believe that the only way that they can do that is if they don't believe liquidity. Ma- and I, if you listen to them talk, and I think it's they really fascinating, don't, yeah. they don't believe it matters. I think that they think, con- and it's a ridiculous belief. It's one of those beliefs that can only come from an academic and ivory tower thinker that, that you know, the kind of people that make up the FOMC, where they're like, well, no, you know, ample liquidity is a well functioning market. And you go, 
No. You, an outside force determining what that liquidity level should be is not a market. I mean, liquidity is part of it, right? Like that's one of the biggest reasons you get recessions is that too much money gets invested and there's not enough liquidity. Right. You know, I mean, that's, that's, it's one of the functions of markets and it, it doesn't matter if you're just pumping the water in the other side, you know, if you're just pumping the liquidity in the other side, it doesn't matter. Oh yeah, we're draining it. Well, yeah, the level isn't coming down because it's coming in just as fast through the other side. Yeah. I mean, you, you raised rates that almost nobody had to pay and then you raised liquidity that everyone that invests got, got to like essentially take advantage of. Yeah. One of those really had an impact and one of them didn't. Yeah. And I think that I, I think for the most part, and I think that's probably the bounce in data that we're seeing that we were talking about thinking, you know, at the end of last year, we were both saying, you know, the dots was talking about how we expected the data to bounce in the first quarter. Why? Because I think the ramp up in asset prices usurped the pain, at least for last year, the pain of higher rates. Hundred, like hundred percent. There's just no doubt about it. Yeah. So they they just they're bidding against themselves. Yeah, and they've been essentially increasing liquidity since October of 2022, whenever the guilt crisis hit. So I mean, what is the SOM rule? I know it, and I'm forgetting it. What is uh, that? Basically, unemployment rate goes half a percent off the bottom. Okay. Yeah. So. Which we, I mean, we could still trigger that tomorrow. Yeah. Probably won't, but we could. Yeah. Well. But I mean, even then I'm, I'm not sure it will matter. I, th- I think the unemployment rate. There's a Psalm is a lady, right? It's a female. Yeah. Claudia Psalm. Yeah, Claudia Psalm. Yeah. Did, didn't, isn't she the one that's come out and said that she no longer believes in the Psalm rule? Uh, kind of. Yes. She okay. basically said like, Hey, if it triggers here short term, like, I don't think it means we're going to a recession, which I remember when she said that and I was like, that's crazy. But now that I'm looking at it, I mean, with, if jobless claims are going to be barely over 200 K. That tells me that the unemployment rate, it's not there because people are getting fired. It's its there because more people are entering the labor force that aren't getting jobs. That's not nothing, but it's not a recession. You're, like, I think a recession is going to require people losing jobs and income. We're still so far above trend on nominal incomes that you need to see below trend hiring. So call it under... I would say you need you need a few a few job job reports under seventy five k to to like trigger a recession from that side. Now, obviously, you'd have, we have a giant wave of uh, of defaults and and stuff like that that could do a lot of work on its end too. But uh, yeah, but with again with two point one trillion in deficit spending and no, I mean, look, and it's going to be more next year. Yeah, it makes up for a lot. Yeah, I mean, you're just fill you're just fill the. I don't know. Each day that this goes by, man, and it's not, you know, it's not me sitting there saying the end is coming. It's me sitting there going, you know, looking at this data set going, I don't know what to make of this. Yeah, (laughs) probably the most important metric to whether or not you have a recession is whether or not uh, asset prices move down enough. Yeah. Even even if you go back to 2022 when asset prices did go down a lot, that was the closest we came to a recession. Yeah, just when asset prices are no longer linked to anything, I just I I don't know what to By the way, it's crazy. I just it's a again, and I don't want any listener thinking that I'm sitting here wringing my hands saying the sky's about to fall. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying every day that this continues, you just drift further and further away from any sense of economic normalcy. And, and the biggest thing about that that bothers me is that that should be, that should create uncertainty in, in asset markets. 
And that's what I'm wrestling with. You know what I mean? Where you're looking at the fundamental side of it and you're like, good God, this is getting more opaque and more confusing on a day-to-day basis. And it leaves you not knowing what to do with asset prices, especially equities, especially when they're behaving the way they are. You know, I mean, when I'm, I'm sitting here in my mind thinking I'm laying out these issues, we're discussing these problems, and I'm not entirely sure whether it makes me want to sell everything and hide in a hole or whether to buy everything that's not bolted down. I, like, I, I'm looking at both things going, I'm not really sure. That's why I think the being like pretty tactical is, is, is important because I think in, 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 in Q1, you, pr- you probably get out of the way and you short a little bit of stuff. And, and then in, as, as soon as Q2, if not, if not Q2, probably Q3, um, it goes back the other way. You want to be long duration and, and short rates and you want to be long everything, not bolted down. Like it, we're, we're like in like a little oscillating cycle and you just got to play both sides of it. Well, and I was listening to somebody talk and I want to be very clear with this because I know that we have a lot of, you know, we've got a lot of friends in our business that listen to this, but we also have a lot of retail listeners that listen to this. And guys, we, in no way are we suggesting to time markets and in no way are we suggesting that that's a good tack to take or that that's the only, the reason we're saying that is because I would like nothing more as a value manager to just pick my horses and let them run and say, you know, screw it. I'm not going to pay attention to all the noise. But to do that in this market that is disconnected as it is from fundamentals, you got to be able to, you got to be able to stomach 30 to 50% downsides. And, And that's the problem of the pernicious nature of this market. When it's this disconnected from fundamentals, both on the things that are going up and the things that are going down, there is no margin of safety. Really? No. Right. Meaning, you know, the whole idea behind Graham and, and, and Buffett is that, hey, no matter what, if it falls, this is our margin of safety. This is what things are worth. You'll watch things trade below 50 percent below their margin of safety. Right. There is no margin of safety. And and that's why we're saying tactical is because the margin of safety is time. That's it. That is. That's the right. Because over time, I think those prices will work right. themselves out. Energy has an 8 percent shareholder yield. Like, just give it some time and you're fine. But. But again, energy can easily get cut in half within, you know, six months. Like there it went. Yeah. And people are like, well, what do you mean? But you said the earnings, I'm t- I'm, it's not trading according to earnings or cash flows right now anyway. Right. So like that's the, that's the toughest part in all of this. And, you know, so if we sound like we're in there day trading and trying to time markets, we're, we're not, and we're not suggesting anybody else does that. We're just saying if you're managing risk and 50% drawdowns aren't palatable to you, I don't really see another way around it. Yeah, like the day trading would be foolish, but at the same time, being strategic only would also be foolish. Yeah, because the the tactical side is 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 so important these days with the way systematic flows and positioning and everything work. Uh, not to mention the Fed playing ping pong with financial conditions. Well, and just being the constant liquidity provider too. Yeah. And that's just that. That was a point that I I, I really wanted to emphasize to people because I was I was actually listening to Jordan Belfort do an interview with Tucker Carlson. I, I, yeah, I only listened to about ten minutes of it, but he was making some really good points about not trying to time the market now. And I was just like, you know what, man, that's a really good point. And I don't want people thinking that's what we're advocating because if you try to time the market, I mean, I'll just there's no, you know, good luck, right? I, I'm not suggesting that at all. What I'm talking about is managing risk and volatility. And why do we have to do it? Well, as value managers, 
I want people to be in long-term good value things that make sense on a cash flow basis. But to be in those kinds of investments right now means that you have to take on an unbelievable level of volatility to hold them. And most of my clients are not going to be putting up with 40 to 50% swings in their yeah, exactly. portfolios. Yeah, exactly. It's not a, this isn't a risk capital only hedge fund enterprise. Well, well and that's the pernicious nature of this market, yeah. right? If you want more quote unquote stable performing stuff, you got to pay up for stuff that financially doesn't make sense on a valuation basis. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, you if, got, you, and if you want the big returns that like some of our friends get with their hedge funds or family offices, and and people see that in the news, like wow, that's what I want. Well, yeah. do you? Because the the next year after they had their hundred percent return, they probably had a sixty percent drawdown. Right, right. And nobody Most people don't want to do that. Nope. And nobody, nobody, like you and I always laugh about people really. Uh, I I remember having a conversation. I was like sitting there going, yeah, but they were up one hundred and ten percent last year. I was talking to a prospective client, and I go, well, yeah, but they're down fifty two this year. Yeah, exactly. And he goes, yeah, but they're still. 5% ahead of you guys. And I go, no, they're 15% behind us. <laughs> right. These people draw, draw down math is absolutely escapes everybody. Yeah, it really does. I, and I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this. I was in the business several years before I really understood it. Yeah. I mean, me too. So I can, I can give you a, a, a self-deprecating uh, story there. And that is that my average annual returns in my personal portfolio that, that I'm, you know, just my own personal account, my average annual returns are over 24%. That sounds awesome. Yeah. But my, my, my Kager, my actual annualized returns are about five, Whew. which tells you, it tells you, A, I had a drawdown this past year and it was big, yeah. but that, but that there's a perfect encapsulation of like, you can knock it out of the park for a few years, but if you have one bad one, Ruins it, it all. It, yeah, it's just gone. Like, well, it was like last year, wasn't it? Was it last year? Yeah. I think it was last year. Mel- Melvin Capital got hit for another 70. He was like yeah. 68 or whatever. Which that's just crazy. And people As are like, oh, well, he's probably up again 65 this year. Okay, go do the math. If yeah. he's up 65 this year, he's still down about 50 overall. Yep. Right? And people just don't get that. It just escapes them. Yep. Right? If you're down 70, uh, 50 So much work has to get done to- A 50% gain means you're still down by 40. Yep. It's just- And, and, and whenever you look at it, you know, over a, like a multi-year, multi-decade point of view- the, the damage done by just one or two of those, yeah, you know, forty percent plus is it's just immense. Yeah, it doesn't matter how good your returns are outside of that; it, it, it just does so much damage. You're better off just kind of hitting doubles than than there's. And I've heard some people talk about this. Like there's there's been firms that they literally went for strategic mediocrity. Like they never wanted to have a huge good up year. That meant like they're doing something wrong. Um, and there's people that if you look at like the top top 10 list every year of who did had the best year hedge funds. There are people, there are people that had never been in that. And, but over a decade, they're in the top five. Right. Right. And it's, well, that's the reason. Well, it's the basis of how we've designed our portfolios, which is, Hey, you know, you say it and it it pushes people back. And I'm like, listen, if we can get 80 to 85% of the upside in up years and only take on 30 to 35% of the downside in down years, people are like, well, that doesn't sound that great. And you're like, okay, go run that for 20 years. Right? Exactly. It it you you almost double the performance of the market if you do that. Yep. Avoid those downturns. So again, guys, I'm no, we're not on here advocating day trading or swing trading or anything like that. Honestly, in this market, and truthfully, in normal times, I would probably have about forty to fifty percent of my portfolio right now 
very highly in normal time. If we were looking at a market that's trading at 17, 18 times earnings, I'd probably have 40 to 50% of the value portfolio highly correlated to the S&P 500 or the Qs. Normally, just because... Look, that old adage of the stock market does what it does. And then, yeah. you know, I've, I've learned that over the years. I usually always have a core position. But when you're looking at a market trading at these levels with these interest rates, and, and here's the kicker. If you look at what the future expected returns are on a historical basis of a market trading this expensive, they're less than half of the return you can get in a 10-year bond right now. Yeah. Right? And just in that environment, I could be wrong. Maybe the market keeps going up. But if it doesn't, if all of the historical averages play out, which they usually end up doing yep, eventually, they do. right? It, they, they, you, you, you look like an idiot. If somebody comes to me and says, hey, Zach, all these bonds made us half as much as the market, I can live with that. What I can't live with is, hey, Zach, these stocks are down 50%. Why aren't we in bonds? Yep, exactly. So anyway, but yeah, index is uh, not starting the year off great. NASDAQ's down about, what, 3% already to start off the year? Yeah, a little over. Down, we, so we finished down 0. 0.3, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.3 today on the three we always talk about. Between, yep. um, and bond yields are up kind of five to seven basis points again. So a lot of these things are kind of playing out as, as expected. Yeah, and like we said, positioning and all that other kind of thing, sentiment coming into the year, it's all screaming. The other thing I will say, too, we were talking about it, and I don't want to say it just because I don't want to be liable for it, but we have a checklist that we developed after last year of seven different conditions that we need to see in order to in order to short. Uh, we're running about six out of seven right now, right? Yep, exactly. So. Keep that in mind, kiddos. All right. Well, we'll be back next. We'll be back tomorrow. We got any data coming out tomorrow? Uh, the jobs. Jo- oh, yeah. Jobs and services, ISM, and then like durable goods, capital goods, all that kind of stuff, too. All righty. Well, we'll take a look then. All right, you guys. We'll see you then. Until then, thank you for listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.